Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. I am shocked to see so many of you here. Yeah, I mean, this morning I thought Kids Church is going to be empty. It's hopping uh, over there. It's like more kids than we've had in three weeks. But hey, no worries. I brought in a bunch of my Christmas presents, and they have wrapped them this morning. The rules were it doesn't have to be good. It has to be covered. So Cameron, you are coming home for Christmas. Jason, Kate, Brooklyn back there in the booth. I have no idea what belongs to who. I didn't think ahead of time. I apologize for our Christmas morning, but when work gets done, you don't undo it. So surprise, Huguenins, it's going to be a fun Christmas. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Christmas, we are getting excited not just at home, but here at church as well to celebrate together. And there are a couple of ways that we want to direct you to be able to do that. First of all, we have a family advent for those of you that are interested in just kind of taking a pause and trying to do a few things with your family that kind of center on Jesus and beyond the gifts and the receiving and the what I want stuff. And so we have those available for you at the um, welcome cabinet, as well as in our kids' church area this morning. And those are for any of you who want those. Like, if you are full-blown grown-ups and you're like, I need to simplify my Advent a little bit this year, would you take one of those? If you're grandma and grandpa and you're going to see grandkids and you want to do something special with them, please take one of those. If we run out, there are digital versions of those. Shoot me an email. I would love to get that to you, and we'll print more for next week as well. Also, in um, just this season of thinking about gift giving and thinking outside of ourselves, we have an opportunity to partner again in our normal ways with Cedar Way and Vision House through our food distribution and supplies. Um, And that is a regular list and it's stuff that we do every single month. But in addition to that, there are some extras that will just kind of help them, support them, make them feel seen, loved, and heard in this season. And we have an Amazon gift list, wish list, I guess it is, from Vision House specifically. And what that is, it's two different lists that you'll receive if you sign up for the text alert. So you text the word Amazon to the Brookview number, and those two digital lists will come to you. You go to Amazon, two lists. One is for books for their child care center. Some of those are for the teachers when they're working with students and kids. The other is just for families to be able to choose a book. The second list is gifts for residents. And what they do is they hold a time to be able to shop with their residents. The residents get to go in and the kids get to go in and pick up the gift that mom or dad or the kids specifically ask for, one gift. And then they wrap that together and they take that to their apartment place and set that under the tree. So that's a really cool thing. When you go to that Amazon wish list, you don't need to bring that stuff into church. The address for Vision House is right there, and it'll go directly to them if you choose to have it shipped to them. Um, In addition to that, we always hold our annual gift card drive. And that is just if you have extra gift cards that maybe you get from an employer or family members, and as much as you might need it, you're like, eh, 
maybe somebody else needs it more, or you just want to go out and get a few things, um, you can do that through January. And what we do is we bless Vision House and the Nourishing Network with those two separate um, gift cards for groceries, for gas, for Target, Fred Meyer, that kind of stuff. And it just helps them throughout the year when their pantries get a little bit bare. Um, and that way they don't have to call in the Calvary and put up, you know, special drives and that sort of thing. They can just kind of rely on a little bit of a savings account that they have for that. So those are the ways that um, we are partnering with our community to make the holidays a little bit brighter. If you have kiddos, I just invite you to shop with them. Maybe you want to give them a day of doing chores together around the house and um, earn some money and then go with them to give back. Ideas. I have so many. Come and find me. <laughs> but beyond that, I will move on to the next thing, if I remember what it is. Thank you, Brooklyn. Um, in January, we will be getting a new quarter of life groups. And those, we run on a quarter system. It's a great way, if you've been thinking about a group but you're not quite sure, maybe you were busy in the fall and your life has settled a little bit, but those will start in January and they run through March. So the quarter begins in January. And if you're thinking that you would like to be a, in one of those, we would love for you to fill out your online communication card and mark the box, life group. And then Jason will get back to you, and he'll kind of tell you what life groups are, and then you guys can dialogue about what might be a good fit for you. And if you are on the fence about groups, do it. That's all that I, and I'm getting a lot of head nods. And um, for me personally, what groups have meant for me is I can do this Christian thing alone. That's very possible for me to have a relationship with God all by myself. But when I sit in community with other people, like this fall has been a hard one for me where I'm just like, I'm not getting any wins. Do you ever have seasons like that where you're just like, I'm not getting wins. It's feeling, and it's not that my relationship with God is flat. It just feels kind of hard. And the things that I'm doing for his on his behalf don't feel like they're bearing a lot of fruit. It happens sometimes. But man, when I sit in groups and I hear the movement of God among his people, Man, I get to ride that high right with them and celebrate. And it takes that flat line or even that, just, is God really, does he see? I go, he sees. He is here. He's working and he's moving in our midst. So that is one of the beautiful things about life groups. For me, I think we could probably pass the mic. And for those of you that are in groups, you know what it's meant to you. So I just encourage you, if you're on the fence about it, get in a group. Um, we would love to, to see you do that. Um, last thing is that online communication card that I already mentioned. We love hearing from you. Go to brookviewchurch.com and fill that out and respond to anything that was confusing that didn't have complete details. That's highly possible. Um, and we will get you connected. And Jason's outdoor Christmas. Wow. I almost missed it. I was so thinking about giving, and then I went to January. Um, can we skip Christmas? My presents are wrapped. <laughs> Outdoor Christmas. Man, this is a fun thing we get to do together. This was an innovation that happened in the middle of COVID when we were not allowed to be inside of a building together. I think the following year, we weren't allowed to sing together, which 
singing carols together at Christmas time was like 100% of what we did to celebrate Christmas. And it was like, what are we going to do? So we kind of pivoted in the midst of all of our pirouetting in COVID, and we found something that we love. And you guys love it too, I think. Um, but we gather together in the parking lot. We sit around fire pits for s'mores and hot cocoa bar and just great conversation and family time together. We have activities for the kids. We have a photo booth. Um, it is just a fun time to be together. We do have a rain and now a snow plan as well. And so it will be on rain or shine, but we're really hoping for shine because we want to be outside together. There's just something fun about a crackly fire that we sit around together in the middle of December. We love that we get to use our parking lot, and this is a busy intersection in Briar, and it lets everybody know, hey, there's life happening outside of these walls as well. So please join us on December 18th. That's a Sunday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. We won't have church in the morning because we will be getting ready for that. And then on Christmas Day, we won't have our Sunday gathering. We want you to be at home with your families and just enjoying all that Christmas is with the people that you love. Um, and then on January 1st, we also will not gather but we want to encourage you to be together with people that you can make an investment in in some way in lieu of gathering that morning. You have a free Sunday or a snow day, dare I say, for those of you that were here last week, how apocalyptic was Jason's message. Do we need to talk to him about, you know, be careful what you talk about here. God hears his people. <laughs> um, so, okay, those are all of the things that I have. Um, Brooklyn is also waving at me. I've forgotten something else. I said it, Cedar Way. Nope, we're going to have our distribution in next week. Yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday. The 13th. No, it's not this Tuesday. It's, it's the next one. Thank goodness, you guys. I got some time. I'm going to get you those lists. If you are on our distribution list, you are going to get an email about that. Wow. I got to go teach kids church, you guys. They're probably getting real crazy over there. Have a great morning. Um, let me pray for us really quick. Dear God, what a pleasure and a gift and a sweetness it is to be able to gather here in this space, and I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts. God, I pray for the kids as we're talking about Kids Church and that nothing is impossible with you. I pray that that would land. And this morning, as Jason is talking about rest and what it's like to just lean into you and to allow you to be God for a bit so that we can restore ourselves, so that we can be centered in you, so that we can go out and change the world for your goodness and your glory and your name and your renown. God, would you meet us here? In your name I pray. Amen.
You know, one, one reason that most people come to Brookview is because of the seamless transitions. <laughs> and the sheer just professionalism. Jen, I know you're gonna watch this or listen to this message later, so I just wanna tell you, you are amazing. You're an amazing woman and a gift. Uh, and my 15-year-old daughter, Brooklyn, way to handle the images back there. It looked like a, a something, a, a setting got hit where they were, the slides were just scrolling through and then you handled it like a boss. Yeah. So now that we shouted out my family. <laughs> you guys, for most of this series, right, we've, we've talked about work, doing work. Because God's calling us to make this world more garden-like, more kingdom-like. He's inviting us to partner with him, and we've been saying it again and again, to move the world forward in some way. And so the work that we do, whatever that work happens to be, whether we get paid for it or not, it matters. But last week, we took a hard right turn. And we looked at the shadow side of all of this, right, which is overworking. In a culture where busyness is a compulsion and stillness is considered laziness, there can be, for many people, a constant nagging internal voice saying something like, you don't have time to rest. Look at all the stuff on your to-do list that isn't done. So even when I'm not at work, I'm not really at rest. Even my days off are filled with, with work cleaning the house, paying bills, yard work, running errands. And we go from working during the week to working on the weekends back to working during the week. And it's, it's exhausting. So last week we looked at the reality that this, this has never been God's design for us. The, the pressure that we feel to produce something every second of every day, wherever it is that that comes from, it's not God. In fact, God commands us to take a break to stop producing, to take a whole day every week with no work. So let's revisit commandment number four of the Ten Commandments that we looked at last week. Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We saw last week that means set apart, different from other days. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Okay, so Israel is to rest on the Sabbath. Why? Continues. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, it's interesting. Moses receives the Ten Commandments, and he receives them right at the start of Israel's journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. So if you think about these people that have been enslaved for 400 years, they have never known anything like Sabbath. They had only known life under Egyptian taskmasters. In Egypt, they had been worked literally to death. No weekend, no day off, ever. So the concept of Sabbath was, was brand new for them in many ways. And God says, look, this goes all the way back to the beginning, back to creation. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. 
So the picture is that we imitate God on the seventh day, that we cease, that we rest. But it's important to note, right, that God didn't rest because he was tired. God didn't wear himself out with all the work of creation. God doesn't wrestle with obsessive bouts of workaholism. He's, he's not at risk of breakdown or burnout. He isn't desperate for the weekend. He doesn't say, thank me, it's Friday. <laughs> right? This is a picture of God taking the lead by setting the example. It's as if God woos us into rest by resting himself. Like a parent coaxing a reluctant toddler into taking a nap by laying down beside her. But at the end of Israel's journey, just before they're, they're now ready to go into the land, Moses addresses the nation once again in the book of Deuteronomy. And it's sort of like a, a, sh- like a state of the union address. And he recaps the 10 commandments, including the Sabbath, but this time he paints a slightly different picture. At first, he just basically recaps the idea from Exodus that we just read. But then he takes a turn. He goes a different direction. And instead of pointing out to them that they should rest because God rested, in in Deuteronomy, he doesn't reference creation at all. He simply appeals to the real-life experience of the Israelites. So in Deuteronomy, this is how Moses ends the command. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So Moses is saying, remember that not long ago, all of you, the whole lot of you, the whole nation, you were all slaves. You were denied any choice when it came to rest. You worked all day, every day. The Egyptians put taskmasters over you with bullwhips to ensure it. But God went to extravagant lengths to set you free. The plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and and, and when those taskmasters came chasing you with chariots to enslave you once again, God drowned them all. He fully liberated you from Egypt so that you could enter into freedom and you could enter into rest. So Moses warns them, don't resurrect the taskmasters. Don't go back to the sea and throw lifelines to them. Don't rescue them out of the sea and invite them to rule you as you head into your new land. Let them stay dead so that you can enter fully into the rest that God has for you. And this is the great barrier to Sabbath that we still feel. We, we enslave ourselves to taskmasters, to the taskmasters in our heads. Taskmasters are saying things like, what do you think you're doing? Resting? You're going to do something right now that won't produce anything? Like, that's laziness. What's the matter with you? You can't afford to do that. Have you, have you forgotten about the huge pile of things that aren't done? Have you forgotten all the things that might go wrong if you don't get off your butt and make something happen? If you want your life to be great, it all falls on you, so you have to make it happen. Get to work. Mark Buchanan quoted him last week, but he writes this. One measure for whether or not you're rested enough, besides falling asleep in board meetings, is to ask yourself this, how much do I care about the things I care about? When we lose concern for people, both the lost and the found, for the bride of Christ, for friendship, for truth and beauty and goodness, when we cease to laugh when our children laugh, 
and instead yell at them to quiet down, or weep when our spouses weep and instead wish they didn't get so emotional, when we hear news of trouble among our neighbors and our first thought is, we hope it isn't going to involve us. When we stop caring about the things we care about, that's a signal we're too busy. So last week I I compared Sabbath to taking a a snow day, rest from work, and Jen called it apocalyptic. I'm going to call it prophetic. (laughs) Do you guys know, know, does anybody know what the name Jason means? Thank you. I'm glad you're so interested. It means healer. Yeah. That, that doesn't do, that does, has nothing for this. This was, it should mean, it should mean prophet. Okay, so talk last week about just kind of use this metaphor of a snow day, the day that you wake up and you see snow on the ground and you go, I'm calling into work and actually I don't have anything planned today. I can kind of do whatever I feel like. And so the picture is God giving us a snow day. Just to, uh, to take a day off and not fill it with, with more work. Sabbath is the idea that we take a day every week to let go of the have-tos. And we take our, our, our to-do list and we lock it up for a whole day and, and we let go of the have-tos and we get to focus on the get-tos. What are the get-tos? And so today, I, I launched into that last week and some of you went, okay, that sounds awesome. How in the world would I do that? And so what I want to do today is just get like, crazy practical. How in the world do you take a snow day? Uh, what kind of things might, might wreck it for you? And what kind of things would really help you make the most of it? So let me start with the negative uh, by giving you a few things that will ruin your Sabbath. Number one, legalism. Now we talked about this last week, but I, I want to expand on it. We like lists and formulas and prescriptions. We want to know exactly how to do stuff. So when we hear the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, on it you shall do no work, we think, okay, but how exactly do I live that out? Exactly. And, and in story after story, in all four Gospels, Jesus, we see Jesus tangling with the Pharisees, right? This this uptight right-wing group of religious conservatives over the practice of the Sabbath. They had a a view of what no work on the Sabbath looked like, and if you read the Gospels for very long, it becomes obvious really fast that Jesus did not adhere to their viewpoint. As we saw last week, for Jesus, the Sabbath, it was actually a day to get into a lot of trouble. I don't know if you guys ever thought about this, but the Son of Man had kind of a mischievous streak. You don't get crucified by being a people pleaser. Uh, John Mark Comer writes this. He says, Jesus isn't down on the Sabbath, but somewhere along the way, the Pharisees lost the plot line. They lost sight of what the Sabbath is all about. They got out of sync with God's heart. And Jesus is calling them back to the Sabbath's roots. The Sabbath is more of an art form than a list of 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 do's and don'ts. There's no right way to do Sabbath. There's wisdom, yes, but all sorts of room to breathe. What's life-giving for an introvert reader dad of three, which is him, what is life-giving for an introvert reader dad of three might not be for an extrovert college student Instagrammer or a middle-aged couple. Um, One time in 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 the synagogue on the Sabbath, 
Jesus healed a man that had a shriveled hand. So the religious authorities, the Sabbath police, instead of celebrating that, they burst into a rage. And they're just like, ha, that's work. You're a sinner. And the veins start bulging from their foreheads and, the ne- and their necks. And it says, it says, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. You guys, the irony in this scene is staggering. As the Pharisees see it, healing on the Sabbath is a violation. But plotting murder? That's perfectly acceptable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> legalism is an adventure in missing the point. It's, it's elevating rules over the heart of the matter. Legalism leads to bizarre lines of reasoning. It's wrong to heal on the Sabbath, but it's okay to plot the death of those who do. Legalism is a surefire way to miss the point. So, so I want to come back to our definition from last week. Like, what is Sabbath? And it's very simple, it's very basic. Part one, cease from what is necessary. Part two, embrace that which gives life. When it comes to any activity, we have to run it through this very simple filter. Is, okay, is it okay to bake cookies on the Sabbath? Well, is it necessary or does it, does it give life? Is it an ought to or a get to? Is it okay to send emails, weed the flower bed, work on the car? Okay, same filter. Does it, does it smell like an ought? Or would it be a life-giving thing to do? And, and we tend to want things to just be black and white, can or can't. But have you ever like, noticed how open-ended God keeps the Sabbath? And God doesn't keep everything open-ended, if you've ever read through the Old Testament especially. Like God gives very explicit instructions to Israel about lots of other things priestly garments, dietary concerns, the removal of mildew, types of polyester that are absolutely forbidden. But for the Sabbath, God gives very little detail, just general guidelines. Cease from work, celebrate, remember, rest. Sabbath keeping is more art than science. It's more poetry than math. It's like a dance. You have to, you have to feel it. And to make it into some kind of a formula kills it. So one thing that will surely kill your Sabbath is legalism. But then we have to watch out for its opposite. Okay, number two would be justificationism. And I know that's not a word for those of you legalists that are freaking out right now. But it goes, justificationism goes nicely with legalism. This is what pastors do. So as human beings, we have, we have highly developed our ability to justify just about anything we want. Can I mow the lawn on the Sabbath? Well, sure, if it gives life, right? But maybe I spend hours on the lawn and it depletes me, and I'm not doing it because I get to it. I'm, I'm doing it because I ought to. And when I'm done with that, I pay bills, and then I grocery shop for the week. And, and what I say to myself all day is, man, I'm sure glad that I'm not one of those judgmental, closed-minded legalists when it comes to the Sabbath. Because man, is it ever good to get all this stuff checked off my list. And then by the end of the day, our lone Sabbath for the week, we're exhausted, not refreshed, and the next day we're back to work. Do you guys know why I know about this? 
because I've seen some of you do it. <laughs> because I've done it. I've done it a lot over the years. I've done it a lot. I have wasted away my Sabbath. I have uh, journeyed alongside of a woman and together we have wasted away <laughs> our Sabbath. I've done it. And, and I'll tell you what, when I do it, I feel it. So I, and what happens is I stop getting passions from God. I stop, I stop caring about what I care about. And, and even though my life might be filled with tons of activity, like the rest of the week, I'm not actually accomplishing the stuff that matters most. I'm, I'm not the husband I want to be. I'm not the dad I want to be. I'm not the leader I want to be. I'm not the friend that I want to be. I'm not the coach in seasons of coaching that I want to be. I lose passion. I lose creativity. And there are serious consequences. So one enemy of, of real Sabbath is legalism, but you can go the other way. And another enemy is justificationism. You have to be careful. And then I want to talk about one more enemy that I have, I've seen a lot. And it's really kind of two things combined, okay? So the third is, is idealism and perfectionism. It is so easy to dream unrealistic dreams, to try to attain perfection. And if you do this when you think about Sabbath, it will kill it for you. If you, if you start thinking about Sabbath and you, you dream of something that is like otherworldly, you will always fall short and your experience will never be what you feel like it ought to be and you either end up frustrated every time or eventually you just give up on the idea altogether. So I want to let you in on a, on a little secret. Your Sabbath will always be imperfect. The goal is to do the ought-tos while letting go of have-tos. That's the goal. Here's the deal. You will never have a day where this, where this lines up and you live up to this perfectly. So if you're overly idealistic about it, it'll wreck it. Uh, I realized something about myself recently. I, I'm kind of like super high on idealism myself, and it ruins stuff for me all the time. Like I dream of things being just like impossibly awesome and then they never are. And, and, and if something can't be perfectly ideal, what happens for me is I tend to usually just give up on it altogether. So case in point, I try to work out a few times a week. Um, usually target is about an hour. My, my buddy Sean's nodding there because we have the same schedule at the same place and we see each other and we're like, get it daddy. <laughs> It's very inspiring. <laughs> but I realized something recently that, that happens in me. If I don't have a full hour to get my workout in, it's easy to decide, well, I just can't work out today. If it isn't perfect, I just give up on it altogether. But what I've realized is, like, even a 40-minute workout is better than nothing. Even 20 minutes is better than nothing. It's not everything that I'd like it to be, but it is better than nothing. And, and some people think about Sabbath and they dream of doing something undoable. And because they can never experience that ideal, they won't even try. Your, your Sabbath will never be perfect. Nothing in life is. As much as you can, you, you want to let go of the have-tos and fill your day with the get-tos. But this is never going to happen perfectly, ever. It won't. 
Okay, if you have a toilet overflow on the Sabbath, do you say, well, I'm not going to clean it up? That feels like an ought to. No, you get your toilet working, unless you're a renter. Right? No, you get your toilet working. You, you clean up the mess. You, and maybe that takes, I don't know how long it takes, how good you are with a plunger and a towel and all that, but it, you know, it takes maybe half an hour, an hour, maybe more. But, but it, 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 and it's, it's a truly a bummer. Like, if that happens, it's a bummer. Does it mean that your entire Sabbath day is ruined? It does if you let it. It does if you let it. But you actually are capable of bouncing back. You still have the vast majority of the day left for the get-tos, unless you're going to sit around and pout about this thing that happened that ruined your Sabbath. The the question really shouldn't be, how do I perfectly eliminate all have-tos? The better question is, how do I eliminate as many have-tos as are possible How do I carve out as much space as possible for the get-tos? Here's another thing that I've seen a lot. It's so easy to look at someone else's Sabbath experience, someone living in very different situation from you, and think, well, well, I can't do it like they do it. And you can think, well, you know, it's just not going to work for me. I just can't have a Sabbath. That's what Sabbath looks like. I can't do it. It's just not possible for me. And I hear this, when people, when people talk about the Sabbath, I hear this all the time, and I think it's tragic. Like, if, if you're married with three little kids, okay, your, your Sabbath day is going to look very different from your single friends. And it's going to look really different from your retired parents. And it's going to look very different from your pastor and his wife. Because your situation is different from other people's. So the way you do Sabbath is going to look different from how they do it. You have to figure out what works best for you. What can you do? What, what have-tos can you let go of? What get-tos can you embrace? This question sometimes comes up um, for stay-at-home parents, right? Look, you know, look, my job is to raise and care for my kids. My full-time job is to raise and care for my kids. So tell me this, Pastor. How in the world is the Sabbath different from every other day for me? You got me. You're host. (laughs) (sighs) Sorry. No, that's a a great question. Okay, that's a great question. But I just want to throw out there. Here's what I bet. I bet something. Here's what I bet. I bet most other days include stuff for you that goes beyond just raising kids. I bet other days include things like laundry and cleaning and running errands and paying bills and, and, and. So how how is the Sabbath day any different? Well, on the Sabbath, do your best to set aside the other stuff. Find ways to to do get-tos with your kids to do stuff as a family, to give yourself a release from all of the have-tos that you can and do as many of the get-tos as you can. Now again, there's, there's no such thing as the perfect Sabbath. There's no such thing as perfect rest. And when you have kids, there are going to be responsibilities. 
right? You can't on your Sabbath day look at your, look at your six-month-old and go, well, not doing diapers today, kid. <laughs> right? It's my Sabbath day. And that smells like an ought. <laughs> smells worse than that. Right? Like, there are responsibilities, right? And those are not the only ones. Uh, on our Sabbath for us, you know, on our Sabbath, it's not uncommon for Jen to go ahead and make dinner. Um, and then usually, I do the dishes. And I just want to tell you guys, it doesn't wreck our whole Sabbath. We kind of like being together as a family. We enjoy family dinner. And we don't really want to then live in a, in a mess. So I am happy to do a few dishes as I'm visiting with the girls and hanging out after dinner. Sometimes we go out or we order out and that's great too. But if, if Sabbath has to be completely responsibility free in order for you to rest, that just is never going to happen. It's never going to happen. So here's what I'm saying. Even if you have kids, you find a way to let go of as many have-tos as can as you can and then do cool stuff with your kids and enjoy each other. And when a diaper needs to be changed, change it. And if food needs to be prepped, prep it. And if cleanup needs to happen, clean up. But let go of as many have-tos as you can and work in as many get-tos as you can. If you get too idealistic and get an unreasonable image in your mind, if you shoot perf for perfection, that like a day of absolutely no have-tos anywhere, you're gonna have a hard time ever entering into any kind of Sabbath rest. Because every little thing is just going to make you mad. And you're going to look at other people, other people's lives, who you think have it way better than you, and here's the, here's the phrase, must be nice. <laughs> must be nice. You know you've thought it. You know you've said it. And instead of enjoying your day that's been a gift from God for you, it's just anger and envy. So these things will wreck your Sabbath. Legalism, justificationism, idealism, and perfectionism. So I want to shift gears. I want to talk a little bit about helpful things. Um, here are some valuable ingredients for, for Sabbath. Okay, number one is play. Just go play. Uh, for some of you, the word, word Sabbath, it conjures up a certain image. You, you envision sitting in stillness, in solitude, for hours, reading and praying and doing Gregorian chant. <laughs> now, I just want to say there's nothing wrong with that. And if you can Gregorian chant, invite me over, because I, I want to see that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that, that solitude, that kind of experience, that, that's a great thing to do on the Sabbath. Um, great. But for some of you, that picture doesn't fit your personality and it doesn't inspire you at all. For some of you, a full day of something that looks like that feels like an absolute chore. You, you wouldn't look forward to that at all. And, and it's interesting because a lot of people have, down through the like, last couple thousand years, it, it consistently human beings want to remove the aspect of play from the Sabbath. One of my favorite movies of all time is Chariots of Fire. Um, how many of you have seen that? Awesome. Not a lot of millennials. <laughs> Beautiful. Chariots of Fire. Um, it's based on a true story. 
So it's a story of a couple of Olympic sprinters from Britain in the 1920s. And one of them is Eric Little. And um, this is a true story, real guy. And he's a, he's a devout Christ follower. In fact, he was a preacher preparing to become a missionary when he was doing all the Olympic running. And there's this scene where he's, he's preaching outdoors in a, under a tent, and it's, it's on a Sunday, and he gets done preaching, and he's walking with people and talking with them, and a soccer ball rolls up and hits him in the foot with a little kid behind it. So he picks up the ball, hands it back to the kid, and tenderly says, Son, the Sabbath's not a day for playing football, is it? And the kid sheepishly replies, no, sir. This is a common way of thinking about the Sabbath. Later in the movie, there's a second scene where he's confronted by his sister. She's also a devout Christ follower and very, very interested in his life as a missionary and her partnership with him in it. And she's concerned that he's focusing way too much on his running, that he's forgetting about his ministry, that he's forgetting about God. And so in that conversation, in response to his sister, he says something awesome. He says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but, I also, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. You guys, I saw Chariots of Fire when I was eight years old in the theater, like when it first came out. And I was so inspired by all of the running and the, the music and, 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 you know, so true story, I decided in the movie theater that I was going to become a runner. And so when we got home, I got out in the yard. And we had a large yard. We lived on three acres. And I just ran. And I just ran and ran and ran. I made it like three minutes. And I decided when I run, I don't feel the Lord's pleasure. <laughs> so that was, that was the end of that. But for him, for him, like, how beautiful is that? Right? I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, the tension of, of the movie centers around the Sabbath because Little's Olympic race gets scheduled on a Sunday. And so guess what? He refuses to run in his one event. He, refuses, he, he, he decides to, to miss the Olympics altogether. So here's how the story turns out. And I don't want to wreck it for you but also you've had 41 years to see it. So <laughs> it's kind of on you at this point. But, but one of his teammates, okay, so this happens, and one of his teammates offers to switch events with him and run a race that's, that's not on a Sunday. And, and Little is, is such a ridiculous athlete that he wins gold in an event that isn't even his event. You guys, and then the Church of Fire music kicks in, and it's, oh, <laughs> but here's the striking thing. While I admire his commitment to his faith, and while refusing to put even an Olympic dreams above God is beautiful, why couldn't he run on the Sabbath? If when he runs, he feels God's pleasure, what's wrong with running on the Sabbath? Why can't he do what he loves most on the Sabbath? But somewhere along the way, it became off limits to have fun on the Sabbath. And we're, we're all wired differently. And so I, I don't know what causes you to feel God's pleasure. But whatever that is, work that into your Sabbath.
I mean, do you like to ride motorcycles, horses? Do you like to hike or fish or hunt? Do you like to water ski, snowboard? What is it that makes you feel alive? What is it that enables you to feel God's pleasure? Do you like to go for long walks? Do you like to knit? It's enthralling. Do you like to read? Do you you like to study and learn things? Do you you like to gather with friends over food? Do you like to get out on on a boat? Do you like to garden? What is it that causes you to feel God's pleasure? What is it that you you don't normally get to do during the week? Is there any way for you to make that a part of your Sabbath? What is it that would get your pulse racing just anticipating it? Because whatever that is, if you're able to, work that into your Sabbath. Okay, so one ingredient is play. Another ingredient is is doing good. Just doing good. Uh, well, I'm going to revisit the story of Jesus healing the man with the shriveled hand, and we're going to look at it as it's told in, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 12. It says, going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now, please notice, on the Sabbath in Jesus' day, if an animal fell into a pit, even the most legalistic people would go and get it out. It would be a bummer, but they would do it. Again, you have to be realistic about Sabbath in real life. Okay, a day 100% free of all have-tos isn't very realistic. The principle of Sabbath is still a really good principle. But Jesus says something else really interesting here. He says, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's not wrong to serve or love or care for people on the Sabbath. Now, thankfully, last week's message... um, I'm just kind of hearing a buzz that it was meaningful to many of you. And there was a lot of conversation around this concept because this is not woven into a lot of people's rhythms. Um, But I I just want to be careful. I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. Um, When I I, I quoted Mark Buchanan, and I, I want to quote him again. Here's what he said. He said, Sabbath is a complete and total reprieve from what you ought to do, even though the list of oughts is infinitely long and never done. Ots are tyrants, noisy and surly, chronically dissatisfied. Sabbath is the day you get to trade places with them. They go in the salt mine and you go out dancing. It's the one day when the only thing you must do is not do the things you must. You are given permission, issued a command to be blunt, to turn your back on all those ots. Now, I very much still stand by this idea, but I want to make sure that you're not hearing me say, The Sabbath is a day to be unapologetically selfish. It's the one day of the week that can be all about you. So don't ever make any commitments. Don't ever agree to do something for another person. Don't ever agree to having to be somewhere because what what if later it turns out you don't want to be there? The key to a successful Sabbath is to avoid everything that isn't totally and completely 100% about you. It's a day of unadulterated selfishness. 
Please don't hear me saying that. That's not what I'm saying at all. Jesus said it's, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. In other words, it is legit to love and serve people on the Sabbath. Now, it shouldn't feel just like whatever your job happens to be during the week, right? It should be different, right? Like if you're an accountant, maybe don't volunteer to do accounting for people on that day. If you're a landscaper, maybe, maybe don't serve other people by doing all of their landscaping. If you're, a, if you're a teacher, maybe don't have your Sabbath day all about working with kids. Like your Sabbath day should be different than other days. Don't do what you do every other day for work. Don't fill up your day with a bunch of have-tos. But hopefully, there actually are ways to serve other people that feel to you like get-tos. Remember, according to Jesus, we get refreshed most when we love people. We get refreshed most by serving people. So sometimes people wonder, well, okay, wait. If I'm serving at church, like helping in children's ministry or leading worship or running sound or whatever, that's not really a Sabbath, right? Can I just say, no. Um, serving people is legit on the Sabbath. And, and, and not just at church. Serving people anywhere in your life. It's a good idea to help someone in your family or a neighbor or a friend. Hopefully that kind of thing, hopefully that kind of thing would be a get-to for you. Now, because ministry usually takes pretty much all of Sunday by the end of it for Jen and I, and because both of us are exhausted by Sunday night, and because it's, in a sense, our job, we do what pretty much all pastor couples do. We take another day for our Sabbath. Some pastors take Friday, some Saturday. We take what? Monday. Monday. Thank you. Thank you for not texting me on Monday. <laughs> but guess what? Over the years, just letting you guys in on this, over the years, I've, I've coached youth sports on Mondays. Like peewee football, little league, youth basketball. I've coached. I, I've been obligated to be somewhere and obligated to expend some energy. It's been part of my Sabbath in many seasons. Here's why. I love working with kids. I love pouring into them, building into them. It's different than what I do as a pastor. It is a project that I have loved doing for years with God. And when I coach, I feel his pleasure. When I run, I don't. Okay. And sometimes on a Sabbath, I help neighbors. Sometimes on a Sabbath, I do nice stuff for Jen. That's not all that I do, but it's, it's a legitimate part of my Sabbath experience. You guys, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So here's something you should never say on the Sabbath. Sorry, hon, I can't rub your aching back. It's my Sabbath, you know. <laughs> it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Okay, one more. Third ingredient for Sabbath is community worship. There's just something powerful and life-giving about community worship, coming together with other believers to serve each other, to remind each other of who God is and why that matters, to learn together, to take communion together, to encourage each other, to sing together, to simply be together as brothers and sisters. Now, most Christians do this on Sundays. That's what we do at Brookview. But if you notice, Israel practiced Sabbath on what day? Saturday. That's weird. So why do Christians do it on Sundays? Well, here's the deal. Here's a very brief explanation. When Jesus was resurrected, it was what day? 
Sunday. So when Jewish Christians began to celebrate Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the Messiah, many of them changed from doing their worship and Sabbath on Saturday to Sunday. It was a way to, to honor and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But not all of them did. As you can imagine, this was steeped into tradition and, and people don't sway from their traditions easily. So in the early church, there was a dispute about the right day to do Sabbath, the right day to worship, the right day to gather. And it became kind of a divisive thing. Some Jews were just more comfortable on Saturday. So here's what Paul wrote. He wrote, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So that clears it up, right? But you guys, what we see from the very beginning is there was freedom on this. And you go, well, what happens if I, if I work a job where, like, it's a rotating schedule? Then you're going to have to pick probably, well, it's not going to be able to be the same day every week, right? That's okay. But what we see from the very beginning uh, of that community is that community worship was central. Like, followers of Jesus have always included community worship in their Sabbath experience. There is something restorative and, and about coming together. There's something about worshiping with others. It helps us focus on the goodness of God in a different way, something that's different than the way that we focus on the goodness of God the rest of the week. Now, we can worship God from anywhere. We can do it in solitude. We can do it on a mountain, right? But there is something powerful about the gathering of believers. And if, if we can work this into our Sabbath, it's a good idea. People have been doing this for thousands of years. I think there's something to it. And I'll tell you, I, I've been doing Sabbath for, for many years. In some seasons, I've done it way better than others. Some Sabbath days are better than others. In some seasons, my, my Sabbath days are better than others, like for whole seasons. You guys, it's, it's never been perfect. But what I'll tell you is it's worth doing. And I cannot imagine what my life would look like if Sabbath was just missing from it. You can decide not to do Sabbath if you want. You can make every day a day to do the have-tos. God will still love you. You can still be a follower of Jesus. But not setting aside a day that's different every week, not taking a break from the have-tos, it'll cost you something. It'll cost you the chance to be the best version of yourself. It'll cost you the opportunity to heal a little bit. It'll cost you the chance to reset with Jesus. John Mark Comer says, says it like this. He says, Sabbath isn't just a pause button. It's a full, complete, total system restart. When we power down, cool off, let the fan wind, fan wind down, and then reboot. Sabbath is a chance to take a long, hard look at our lives and retune them to the right key to make sure that our life is shaped around what really matters. And when we see stuff in our lives that is out of whack, then we turn to Jesus and he comes and does his healing Sabbath work. The Sabbath is not a burden that God lays on our sh shoulders. It is an extension of God's generous love. It is his gift to us. It is a part of the rhythm of following Jesus in a healthy way. It is the way of Jesus. It's part of finding life in Christ. 
to people that were utterly exhausted from life and exhausted from a system of religious legalism, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase in the message of this. Just another way to hear the words of Jesus. It goes like this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Father in heaven, I thank you for your just immense grace. And in our culture of just busyness and go, go, go life, this is just a completely foreign concept for, for many of us. And yet, you're, you're not angry, you're not judging, you're just inviting. You're inviting us into something that could be refreshing. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to figure out, each of us, in our own situation, whether we're married or single or we have kids or we're retired or whatever, pray that you would help us to figure out what a, a, a Sabbath kind of experience would look like for us in our own context. What are the things that are ought-tos that we, we could begin to let go of? And what are some of the get-tos that we haven't been getting to because we feel like we just don't have space for it? God, would you help us to manage and navigate and just to, to continue to look to you to guide us on this? Would you fill us with the life that you're so desperate to give us? Would you give us rest? Would you give us peace? And would you heal us? Amen.